This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Just uh, two phrases that were so impactful in that song. You know, love grew where the blood fell and sin died where the blood fell. Wow. Wow. Thank God for His amazing presence. And let's just... Uh, Continue to soak it in and enjoy what he wants to do for us today. Lord, we just thank you again for your presence. Thank you for just those amazing reminders that you gave us in Brandon's song. And uh, continue to just be with us today. We need you. We want you. We invite you. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look back on this past year, and even looking back further, I think it's safe to say that we all have some regrets. I think we could all name some decisions that we made, but we wish we could remake them. I think a lot of us could think of some instances where we spent money and wished that we hadn't. Or we remember some invitations we accepted, but no, we should have declined them. Or we made some posts on social media, but we really shouldn't have. Because social media posts normally just inflame and divide instead of correct and change. Some of us can probably think of some relationships that we we wish we would have stayed out of. But then others may think of relationships that we should have stayed in. I think that probably all of us can think of some words that we wish we hadn't spoken. But then many of us can also think of words, affirming words, loving words that we wish we would have spoken to loved ones that are now no longer with us. Some of us here no doubt remember some contracts that we signed, but we wish we could unsign them, and on and on. And as we look back on those regrets, most of us have asked or at least thought some form of this question, how could I have been so, and we, we finished that by saying, how could I have been so, foolish or dumb. And since hindsight is always twenty twenty, we sometimes go ahead and add another sentence such as, I should have known better. I mean, if I would have just paid attention to all those things she said, I mean, she gave me so many clues, or if I would have just paid attention to all those things he said, he gave me so many clues... I I should have been able to put two and two together, and and I should have been able to see the trouble coming. You know, if I would have just listened to my mom, she warned me. Or if I would have just listened to my dad, because he warned me. Or if I would have just followed Dave Ramsey's financial principles, he warns about impulse spending or going in debt. I, I should have known that when they said, hey, you get you get points for every purchase you make. And, and so the more you spend, the more you earn. I mean, it's like a savings account. 
Or you get to travel for free with airline miles, or you get free money to spend at Cabela's or wherever. When they said that, I I should have seen through it. Well, for the next few moments, I want to talk about living without regrets. And the first thing I want to say, and this will kind of set the tone for our lesson, but but if you feel that you should have known better, and, and if you feel that you should have seen trouble coming, chances are, listen, chances are there was someone in your life who did see it coming. In other words, as as you look back at the circumstances where you made that bad decision, maybe that decision where you got into that relationship or that decision where you got out of that relationship or that decision where you got into horrible debt, whatever it was, if you can look back and say, oh, I should have seen it coming, chances are somebody did see it coming. Maybe something happened when you were a teenager, and as you look back, you think, how could I have been so foolish? I should have seen it coming. I almost guarantee you that somebody did see it coming, and it was probably your mom. And she tried to bring it up, maybe in a roundabout way, or maybe your dad took the direct approach, but more than likely, somebody saw it coming. In fact, we've got a few young people here. Uh, Most of them are still snoring, but... um, For you young people, and you won't understand this now, but you will learn later on, your parents are not nearly as dumb as you think they are. Could I hear an amen amen from parents right now? Uh, Young people, your parents pretty much know when you are doing something really dumb. You don't see trouble coming, but they do. Okay. So if what I'm saying is true, if if you didn't see it coming, but someone else did, that sets us up for the big, big question. You ready for this question? You ready? Why is it that we can't see it coming, but somebody else can Let me rephrase that. Why is it that I can see trouble coming your way, but you can't? And why is it that you can see trouble coming my way, but I can't? And the reason we need to spend some time discussing this is because I don't want any of us down the road to look back on a bad decision we made and say, how could I have been so foolish? I don't want us to look back at a broken relationship, or I don't want us to look back at a bad financial decision that pretty much became a noose around our neck. I don't want, want us to look back at a bad parenting or a bad grandparenting decision where I overreacted or, or uh, underreacted or overparented or underparented or overgrandparented or undergrandparented. And those are probably not real words, but they are now. You know what I mean. Why is it that we can't see trouble coming our way, but somebody else can? Here's the reason why, or or at least part of the reason why. Emotionally charged environments where our flesh is involved, or emotionally charged decisions where our desires get involved, those situations tend to fog up our clarity and, and make less obvious what is normally very obvious. You know, while you're in the storm, you can't see things clearly. You're in a fog, and and you can't think through things objectively. And so you wring your hands and, and say, 
what do I do? What do I do? But, but others who are not in the middle of the storm and are not being tempted by the flesh and are not emotionally involved in that purchase or, or in the throes of depression or are not full of anger, they are able to see things much more clearly. Don't, don't take this wrongly, but that's why in a lot of cases I could probably do a way better job of managing your money than you can. And you could probably do a way better job of managing my money than I can. Because when it comes to our money, even though, you know, we joke how we love to spend other people's money, yet when we lay the jokes aside, it's unlikely when, you know, when we manage your money that we will get caught up in emotional impulse spending for you. But when our personal emotions get involved, if we see a good deal on a gun... Or we see a good deal on an outfit or whatever, we would tend to say, okay, this is a good deal. And I just got my $600 stimulus check. And so, how could I not take advantage of this good deal? But, but someone on the outside that's not emotionally involved in wanting that gun or that new, new outfit would be able to say, okay, wait a minute, this might be a good deal, it is on sale. But have you forgotten that the tires on your car are not in great shape? And soon you will have to replace them, and it will take all of your stimulus check to buy a new set of tires. You know, there, there's something that happens when our emotions get involved in decisions. And, and parents, you know all about this. You take your kids to Walmart, and you try not to, don't you? Because you've learned. But when you take your kids to Walmart, they want every toy in the store. But you can kind of deal with it, you know, the whining, come on, I want this, I want this, and, and you can kind of control it until, until this happens. You, you turn your head for a split second, and they grab it off the shelf, and they touch it, and they hold it. And when they touch it, and they hold it, they begin to feel emotion and ownership. Isn't that right? You, you know what I'm talking about. And they begin to say, Mom, Dad, Papa, Grammy, I need this. No, you don't. I do too. No, you don't. Well, all my friends at school have this. You still don't need it. You've got eight of these in your closet and you never play with them. But I want it. So what? And all of us as parents or grandparents, we can remember being in the store when it turned ugly, can't we? And our, and, and our kids started crying and throwing a fit, and we got upset, and finally we just left our cart full of groceries in the middle of the aisle, and our main goal was to get out of the store before someone called DFS on us. I think we've all been there. You know, in those circumstances, we're able to make a way better decision on that toy because our emotions are not involved. And by the way, by the way, adults, did you know that we never, ever outgrow that? Even as adults, as soon as our emotions get attached to something, we become just like kids and lose our ability to make sound decisions. And I, I uh, you know, I hesitate to tell this, but anyway, I, I don't think I've ever told this publicly. And I, Faith, I don't know if you even remember this, but a few years after I graduated from college, and this was about a year, maybe two years before we went to serve on the mission field, um, Faith and I had gotten married. We both had excellent jobs. We were 
making really good money. And, and we were what they used to call dinks. Anybody hear of dinks? Double income, no kids. I mean, that was kind of the big deal back then. Dinks, double income, no kids. That's what we were. We were dinks. And, but the day came for uh, us to go buy another car. And, and we decided that following Dave Ramsey's plan, even though he hadn't come on the scene at that time, but I taught him everything he knows, um, we decided that we would let someone else pay the depreciation that happens the moment you drive a new car off the lot and decided we would just buy a very good uh, late model pre-owned car. And, and we lived in Kansas City at the time. And so we went to a used car dealership, found a nice late model car that we, li- we liked. And, and for some discussion, uh, we pretty much came to terms with the salesman. And we were just half a step away from closing the deal and reaching the point of no return. Before the deal was completely finalized, uh, you know, we found out that the car had no owner's manual. And so the salesman said, and this was a horrible mistake on his part, but, but he said, I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to just go to the new car dealership down the road and ask them for a manual, whatever they charge you, we will pay it. And if I remember correctly, I, I think we drove the car that we were buying to that dealership and we got there and we were ooing and aahing over these brand spanking new cars with less than 10 miles on them. And we really weren't interested in one, but just out of curiosity, should have never done this, but we said, by the way, how much are those cars? And these cars were the exact same brand we were buying, just a couple of years newer, and much to our surprise, the difference in price didn't seem that great. And, And of course, once the salesman saw the look in our eyes, he recognized the look. I used to be in sales, and, and after a while, you learn the look. He saw the look in our eyes, and he came after us, and he turned on the charm and brought the heat and, and started talking about how we could have a brand new car for not much more than we were going to be paying for this used car. And, and then he said, why don't you just take this beautiful new car for a little drive? And so again, you know, just out of curiosity, we weren't really interested We got in that car that had that new car smell and less than 10 miles on it and drove around Overland Park. This is a true story, by the way. This isn't one of those stories that preachers make up for an illustration. This is true. But as we drove that car, would you believe we became like that kid in the store that got to touch and hold that toy and and all of a sudden our emotions got involved and we began to feel ownership and 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 plus this was the biggie the new car already came with an owner's manual (laughs) and uh you know the rest of the story i don't even need to tell you we yeah i'm so embarrassed we bought that brand spanking new car And in our fog, it was like, this is a no-brainer. It'd be crazy to go back and finalize the deal on that old car. I mean, it didn't even come with an owner's manual. And Now, if somebody else would have been controlling our money, they they would have probably said, wait a minute, time out. Think think about this. Is is this really what you need to be doing? Is is this smart? Is this wise? You're planning to go to the mission field in, in a year or two. Is that right? Yes. You can't take it with you. That's right. So is this really a smart purchase? But our emotions got involved. And we went into a fog and lost sense of what was wise. And, and though this wasn't a situation where it put us in a world of hurt financially, we could afford it. But, but I hope that you've learned that just because you can afford it doesn't make it a wise decision. You know, I think today we base our decisions on, well, I can afford it. I've got the money. 
You know, I can stretch payments out for 40 years. But it isn't always good stewardship or wise. When our emotions get involved, and by the way, we're going to bring this in to a spiritual aspect here, so hang with us, but when our emotions get involved, we will find ourselves in a fog that causes things that are normally clear to become fuzzy. And, and the thing about this is that it happens in so many areas of life. It happens in marriages. To illustrate this, and man, I probably shouldn't tell you this, I'm just really being open with you this morning, but I'm a horrible marriage counselor. And those of you that have come to me for marriage counseling, you already know that. But, but let me tell you why I'm a horrible marriage counselor, because I'm not a very patient person. And so as I listen to couples tell me their marriage problems, and, and you know, I have a lot of weaknesses in my life, but it, it seems that one of the gifts that God has given me, not every time, but a lot, is, is the gift of discernment. And, and I, I don't know why, but it seems like God has given me that, that gift. And so as I listen to couples air their dirty laundry, many times it seems so clear, and it's like, duh! The problem is obvious, and the solution is more obvious, and I want to roll my eyes and say, dude, here is the solution. You need to stop doing this, or you need to start doing this, or lady, the solution is obvious. Just stop and just start. It's simple. Can't you see? I can fix your marriage in two minutes. But when it comes to my marriage, it's good to have my wife back in church finally. She's been such a slacker over the last month and a half with COVID, but, but thankfully my wife is so patient with me. You know, 36 and a half years of marriage and counting, and I still struggle and sometimes still can't figure out how to be the husband that I need to be, and, and my wife wants to wring my neck more than I care to admit but again, I can fix your marriage in two minutes. You know, same is true with our kids. I, it's so easy to see exactly what our friends need to do with their misbehaving kids. You know, to quote my professor in Bible college, he used to say that certain kids needed pressure applied to their transmission until they switched gears. <laughs> now, we can't seem to handle or control our own kids at times. They act like holy terrors. In fact, some of them go beyond that. They're unholy terrors. But for some reason, we can see other kids misbehaving, and we say, if I could just have that kid for 24 hours, I could fix them, and I could stop that kind of behavior, and I would apply pressure to their transmission to where they would switch gears so fast, they wouldn't act that way under my watch. But, and by the way, that's why, kid, uh, that, that's why people who don't have kids seem to have all the answers for parenting. But then you have your own kids, and you go into a fog for about 18 years actually 30 years or 40 years, however old your kids are. My kids aren't here. Don't tell this. Don't let this leave this room. But I think it's tougher parenting adult kids than it is younger kids. So those of you that have younger kids, you've got a lot to look forward to here. But this is crazy. When, when our kids were young, Faith and I would look at each other and we would be like, okay, what do we do now? That didn't work. Or I would say, Faith, our, our, our kids are acting like your family because my family was way better than that. And, 
You know, and as a lot of couples, most of our disagreements were over parenting and, and grandparenting differences, and, and thankfully we've never come to blows, but sometimes we, our voices have been raised a little bit, and I just hope you weren't outside our door at that time, but, you know, I, I would generally say, you know, we need to take the direct approach, and if you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child, and I was very supportive of those animals who would eat their young. But then faith would say, oh, don't provoke our children to wrath and be gentle or we will crush their spirits and so let's not rock the boat and things will work out. And, and most of the time my wife was right. That's, at least that's what she told me to say this morning. <laughs> but again, it's, 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 it's easy to fix somebody else's kids. Our kids, our grandkids, we're still trying to crack the code. So why? Why is it that I can fix your kids, but I can't fix mine? Why is it that I can fix your marriage, but I can't fix mine? Why is it that I can see how dumb you are with your money, but I can't see when I'm about to make an unwise financial decision? Here's the reason. Because all of these issues are emotional and so whether it's parenting or, or marriage or, or money or lust or anger or greed or jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness or depression, all of these things bring about emotionally charged environments that tend to cloud our judgment. You know, that's, that's why when we go to buy a house or a car or anything else, most of the time we have an idea of what we can afford. But have you ever noticed that after we find that perfect car, that perfect house or, or whatever, our spending limit seems to go up. And, and we say, well, yeah, it's more than what we decided we could afford, but, but I think we can make it work. You know, I'll pick up a few extra hours a month or get a couple of mowing jobs or we can babysit some and not go out to eat as much as we normally do. So I think we'll be fine. What happened? Our emotions got involved. So the question is, what do we do when our emotions are high? What do we do when our appetites are inflamed or our, our anger has been stirred or our depression has hit a new low or, or we have our eyes or our heart on something or somebody and we can't see through the fog? What do we do? Well, here's the heart of what I want to say. What do we do? It's a one-word answer. We must listen. Listen. Because even though, uh, again, even though you didn't see it coming, somebody else did. And if you, if I would have been wise, we would have called a time out and asked someone for wisdom that was outside of that emotionally charged environment. Wise people, people recognize when they are in no condition to decide for themselves, by themselves. Wise people are the ones that hit the pause button and go, uh-oh, this is emotional. I don't trust my judgment right now. I need some advice. Wise people are those who say, I'm so lonely. I'm so depressed. I'm so angry. I am so, and you can fill in the blank. So I'm probably in no condition to decide what is best for me. Which finally brings us to our scripture for the last portion of our study we want to briefly look at the third king of Israel. His name was Solomon. You've heard of him. 
Solomon lived during the golden age of Israel where Israel had as much power as they would ever have. Their armies were as powerful as they would ever be. Their reach in terms of land acquisition was as broad as it would ever be. And God gave Solomon something I pray for every day. I've already prayed for it today. God gave him wisdom. And it almost seems unfair because Solomon didn't get his wisdom the hard way like the rest of us. You know, didn't learn it from the school of hard knocks or, or by experience. Rather, he simply asked God for wisdom and that pleased God. And he said, Solomon, you got it. And his reputation that extended to other countries wasn't simply that Solomon was rich. Even though when it comes to riches, he was Elon Musk. He was Mark Zuckerberg. He was Jeff Bezos. He was Bill Gates squared or cubed or whatever goes above that his reputation wasn't that he was powerful even though he was that rather the part of his reputation that seemed to make the most impact on the known world was his wisdom because here in first kings chapter 4 verse 29 god gave it says god gave solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore so think about that can you measure the sand on the seashore of course not that's how great solomon's wisdom was and then a couple of verses later the bible says that he knew about plants animals reptiles fish he wrote over 1,000 songs and then check out his fame in verse 34 it says men of all nations came to listen to solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom and so when kings of other nations were about to make a big decision they would choose a delegation load them up with a bunch of gold and silver and say go to israel stand in line ask king solomon his advice on this matter. Now here's the good news. You don't have to go get in line because he wrote a bunch of this stuff down. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is full of wisdom. He wrote the Song of Solomon, which you probably shouldn't read until you're 18 because it has wisdom on love and marriage. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And, and and here is what is so interesting. Listen to this. The wisest man in the world said more about seeking counsel than any other Bible writer. The man who needed counsel the least spoke and wrote about seeking it the most. Why? Because the wisest man in the world knew that there would be situations that you wouldn't necessarily see coming but somebody else would. Just rapid fire, listen to some of Solomon's advice here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. In other words, he's going to do what he thinks is best. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Solomon was saying there will be those situations where, where you should not trust your own judgment, and you need to listen to others. But here's what's so interesting, so tragic. 
And by the way, after reading the book of Proverbs, you need to follow it up by reading another book in the Old Testament, the book of First Kings, because First Kings is where you find the story of Solomon. Now, as I indicated, the story of Solomon starts off really well. His priorities are right. And God says, what do you want? Do you want A, money, B, power? And Solomon says, I actually want C, I want wisdom. And so God said, since your priorities are, are right, I'll, I'll not only give you wisdom, but I'll, as a bonus, I'll give you money, I'll give you power. So his life starts out on the right foot. But what's so interesting, and, and this is very, very tragic, very sad, at the very end of his life, Solomon begins to ignore his own advice. Because evidently in his mind, he began to think, hey, if the whole world lines up to hear my wisdom, why should I ask anybody else for wisdom? I can take care of my own problems. And Solomon began to make some horrible decisions. In fact, the summary of his life is this. The wisest man who ever lived made some of the dumbest decisions ever. He wrecked the economy of Israel. He undermined the military authority. He set up the next generation of his family, set them up for failure because of unwise treaties with surrounding nations. This wise man that should have seen his life unraveling didn't, but others did. And the prophets warned him. He ignored the warnings. Just as many times we ignore the warnings from others. You know, we ignore the warnings from our wife or our husband or our friend. We ignore the warnings from our doctor or our counselor. We ignore the warnings from God's Word. In fact, God's Word, the Bible, has advice on most every one of the topics that become emotional. You know, whenever we get fuzzy and go crazy and, and can't think through things and start wringing our hand, the Bible has advice on these emotional topics. That's why we're to study God's Word. Now, here's probably what most of us are thinking this moment. We're thinking, oh man, so-and-so really needs this message. I hope they're listening. But could we all just stop thinking about that other person that needs this and focus on us? Because more than likely, there's an area of our life that if we continue as is down the road, will bring us some regrets. Maybe, maybe it's in the area of our quiet time with God. We, by the way, if we neglect our quiet time with God, it's just a matter of time that we will starve to death spiritually. Maybe the area that needs attention is that we've become critical of everything. Maybe we've developed a gossiping spirit. We talk behind people's backs. And if we don't work on that, instead of focusing on Jesus, we're going to focus on the faults of others. Uh, faults of others. That's a tool of Satan, and that's a dead-end road spiritually. Maybe the weak area is in our marriage or being a spiritual leader in the home. And, and let me just tell you, if, if, if we don't have spiritual leadership in the home, we're setting the tone for our kids to possibly be pagans. You say, oh, surely not. Yes. When we are not injecting spiritual principles into our children, Satan gets in. And that's why, that's why kids that have been raised maybe the right way, but yet without the godly leadership, 
the love and the nurture, that's why they can start just a whole downslide generation after generation to where not very far down the road there will be people that don't even recognize that there is a God that loves them that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. It's amazing how quickly the slide takes place. Maybe it's in the area of being connected to the body of Christ and you know what? If we're not connected, we can begin to feel like an island. I don't want any of us down the road to have to say, I should have seen it coming. Two statements, and then we'll wrap this up. Number one, success is intoxicating. And number two, failure is humiliating. Success is intoxicating. Failure is humiliating. And if you've been somewhat successful, here's what happens after a while. We can begin to think that we're smart about everything. And so why in the world would we ever read a book about parenting? I mean, I can figure this out. I've done well in business. Why, why would I ever need to listen to the doctor? I self-diagnosed my sinus infection and told the doctor or the emergency room what kind of medicine to give me. Why would we ever need to get outside help for our marriage? Because I'm successful. I've done well for myself. I'm smart. I can figure this out. You know, I've kept myself morally clean. I've been successful there. So I have it all together and and you don't have it all together. You're on the wrong side doctrinally, politically, or socially. See, success is intoxicating. But the second statement is also true. Failure is humiliating. In fact, maybe the worst thing for a man to feel and maybe for a woman too, but I can only speak from my perspective. The worst thing for a man to feel is is that he's a failure. By the way, ladies, just just a little bit of advice here. If you come to us and say, you know, honey, I I bought you a book because you're not doing so well in this area, and I've already highlighted the areas that you need to read so you don't have to read all of it. Ladies, if you do that, we will not react very well, and I'm sorry. Just in our DNA. Because anything that reminds us of our inadequacies is something that we will resist, even if it's the solution to our weak areas, because failure is humiliating. So success is intoxicating. I've done well for myself, so I can work my way through my problems, and who are you to tell me what to do? Thank you very much. But then failure is humiliating. Please don't remind me of it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to go see a counselor. I'm not going to read a stupid book. I'm going to figure this out on my own. But God, God says, I didn't design you that way. You were born to need community. In all of your life, you've heard the saying, you know, you have two ears, one mouth for a reason, and So for our protection from our own success and for our protection from our own failure during emotionally charged environments where our lust or our desires or our anger or our greed or our hurt or disappointment or depression are clouding our judgment, we need to hit the pause button. And not only do we need to go to God's Word 
You know, God's Word is truth and life and light. It has the answer to our problems politically, socially, financially, spiritually. But along with God's Word, we need to find someone else who is kind and honest and loving and gentle, yet not afraid to show some tough love and invite them to speak words of counsel into our lives. And we need to listen to them. So, um, in a day and age in which we feel like we pretty much have everything under control, and if we don't know it, we can just Google it, understand that Google isn't the answer. God's Word is, and then God's Word gives us people who are wise, people who are loving, Because remember, you didn't see it coming, but somebody else probably did. And so this week, could we be quick to um, quick to listen? Slow to speak. Could we be quick to call a timeout and say, This is an emotionally charged decision, and I don't trust myself. I'm going to bring someone else in that I think can see through the fog better than I can right now. Can we just humble ourselves today and quit coming across as if we have all of the answers to everything because we don't? Out of the emotionally charged environment, we might have the answers, but we get in the emotionally charged environment, we lose clarity. And what is normally very obvious becomes less obvious. So could this year be the year that we just humble ourselves? Oh God, I pray that this year would be the year that we would take off that prideful front Lord I pray that this would be the year that we quit pretending I pray that this would be the year that we just can go to your word but God also even though your word has the solution to so many things your word encourages us to seek counsel God, let us do that. We, we don't need to be islands. Lord, as, as people that are alone making decisions alone, we're, we're going to not see the trouble coming that somebody else will see. And so, Father, I just pray that this year you would help us to seek that counsel. Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is amazing. And I pray a prayer of blessing upon these wonderful people that love you, love each other. But God, I pray that we would love each other more and especially that we would love you more this year. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be here. We pray this in Jesus' precious, wonderful, holy, majestic name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. 
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.